It is great to be with you, and if you have a copy of God's Word, please join me in James chapter 5. And I just want to share a couple of announcements um, that we want to really draw your attention to and make sure that you've, uh, you've got uh, an opportunity to make note of these things. Uh, next Sunday, we are going to have a membership class, and a number of you have asked about joining the church, and we're excited about that, and so we've, we've got a little group of you that have built up, and so if you are going to be able to be there, I mean, we'll, we'll take walk-ins, that's no problem at all, but if you can just call the church office this week and let us know, that way we make sure we have enough materials for everybody. Again, if, if, if you just show up next Sunday and you think, oh, I didn't call, but I really want to do that, that's okay, be there, that's, that's great, we want you, but if you can have the opportunity to call this week, so that way we can make sure we've got enough materials printed off for everybody. It's a great opportunity to learn about the United Brethren denomination and, and their history, our church's history, and you can ask some questions that might be rattling around on your mind and think about um, some important uh, things that really maybe you haven't thought of before. And so if you have the opportunity and you'd like to join the church, please give the church office a call this week and we'll get you set up. And then also... We have church directory pictures that have been going on, as most of you know. We've been announcing that for a little while. Um, the next three weeks, so today, uh, initially we weren't going to have any pictures today, but Ronnie was able to make it. And, and so today, uh, the 14th and the 21st, we're going to have walk-up appointments. Today, if you can come right after the service, if you've got the gang all here and you think, hey, let's do it, we can get this done, just um, meet her over there on the children's wing. So if you just kind of follow, loop through the old fellowship hall and by the north entrance and follow it down the children's hall, uh, just before you get down to Route 28 is where they're taking them. So you can uh, jump out there and, and get your pictures taken. Um, we were trying to find ways, because we still have a, quite a few people that have, have to get their pictures taken. So we were trying to find ways to motivate people, and we thought, you know what, here's what we're going to do. If you, if, you're, if you don't get your picture taken, we're just going to get on the internet and randomly select family pictures that we find, and we're going to insert those with your names under them. And so uh, Scott found a few this week that we thought might be good, good to use. We have the Bohemian Rhapsody family. <clears throat> We've got the uh, Pioneer Dress-Alike family pose, so, uh, you know, that might be you. Um, the uh, Insert Your Favorite Sci-Fi Character uh, family pose. And then we've even had, you know, a few of us staff have been kind of lagging behind, and we haven't gotten our pictures taken either, so we're going to dig into the archives maybe and pull out some old pictures. I think this might be one of Steve's, Steve's first cars here. And we got Scott rocking out in the olden days, and so we'll, we'll come find you. And uh, uh, if we don't find it, we're going to insert a picture. So that may be hopefully just a little bit of encouragement to uh, get down and uh, get your family picture taken so we can put in the directory. And that just helps us, you know, there's a lot of times if, if you haven't had your, your uh, uh, you know, if you go to first service and somebody else goes to second service, it's just hard to connect and know who they are. Um, the, the final announcement I have is... Uh, uh, we've been we've been promoting the Bassmasters tournament that we do every year. Uh, today, this afternoon, was supposed to be that tournament. We're looking at this thunderstorm system coming across, and we just kind of made the decision this morning that we were going to postpone it. We didn't want to get everybody out on their boats and have uh, thunder and lightning and and things rattling around. Although my kids would probably enjoy that, but uh, this my son was out on that same pond on Kleinhart's Pond last Sunday and nailed this bass, and he threw it back, hoping somebody else would be able to find it today. But unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do that. So um, we'll try to either reschedule or come up with some other exciting event. Um, and we're kind of disappointed that we can't do that today, but just uh, in the, in the, uh, for the sake of everyone's safe, safety and sanity, we decided we'll just um, postpone that uh, to another time. 
If, uh, if you haven't taken a look at your bulletins, make sure that you do. There's other announcements in there, other things going on. There's open houses on the back. You might want to make sure you get those on your calendar. Other, th- other important dates and activities, so make sure you, you read that thoroughly. If you found your place in James chapter 5, uh, we have one more week. Uh, next week will be our final week as we can uh, wind down our series on the book of James, our faith at work. And um, as I was reading this passage this week, uh, the title came to my mind for this section, The Virtue That No One Wants. The Virtue That No One Wants. And as we read these verses together, maybe the reason for that title will become clear to you. So if you found James chapter 5, we're going to read verses 7 through 11 here. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job? And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I got a little quick poll I want to take here, just an informal show of hands. Uh, Raise your hand if you're someone here who really likes to wait for stuff. I got the same response in the first service. (laughs) When you pull into that McDonald's drive-thru at you know, noon on Sunday afternoon here, and and you see that the drive-thru is backed up all the way to the road, there in McEwen, most of us, our hearts don't jump for joy. Or you go to the Secretary of State and you walk in there and you grab one of those little tickets and at the bottom in small, small print it says, I hope you brought your sleeping bag. Most of us don't get excited. We, we, and part of it's our culture, part of it's just our natural impatience uh, and, and our human nature, but we just don't like to wait. We don't like to wait for stuff. We're always go, go, go. We always like the next thing and we always like it right away. And James here is talking to us, and specifically those who are facing difficult times, and he wants to remind us to be patient. In the midst of times where you wish you could hurry through, you wish you could change your circumstances, he says, hang in there. Be patient. Be patient. You see, he's talking, last week, if you remember, as we got into chapter 5, he was talking to the rich and the wealthy, and and he was talking to those who were oppressing the poor and and depending upon their wealth for their significance and social status. And he rebuked them and challenged them. And now he's turning to those who were being oppressed, to those who were being persecuted, to those who were suffering, and now his, his challenge to them is hang in there. Hold on. You're going through a time of trial and a time of difficulty that, that's out of your control. I want you to know that you can have the grace to hang in there. God will provide the grace to be patient. And so as we look at these verses, the first thing I want us to talk about is the command to patience. The command to patience. If we go back up to verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers. And then if you skip down to verse 8, he says, You also be patient, Establish your hearts. All these verbs are, are imperatives. They're commands. They're not options. They're not a, if you feel like it or if it's, if it's easy for you today, then be patient. 
No, no, no. His command, his exhortation comes very strongly in these verses. He says, be patient, brothers. Hang in there. The word for patience that's translated patience in this text means to remain tranquil while waiting. To bear up under provocation without complaint. In his book, The Practice of Godliness, Jerry Bridges fleshes this word out a little bit more. And he says, this, as- these, this aspect of patience is the ability to suffer a long time under the mistreat of other- mistreatment of others without growing resentful or bitter. Whew. He says the occasions for exercising this quality are numerous. <laughs> Amen. We-, we know that. They vary from malicious wrongs all the way to seemingly innocent practical jokes. They include a ridicule, scorn, insults, undeserved rebukes, as well as outright persecution. God calls us to be firm, to stand our ground, to be patient. He says that, establish your hearts. That word in verse 8 means to be strengthened, to be inwardly firm or committed. One paraphrase says, put iron in your hearts. And another says, to be stout-hearted. It means to stand firmly in faith, to not give way to doubt, to have a fixed determination. You're someone who's going to dig your heels in and believe God's promises even in the midst of uncertainty. God calls us to wait, to be patient. Easier said than done, right? It doesn't come naturally to us. We, we battle against drought. This is the virtue that no one wants. We've all said at one time or another, or heard it said, don't pray for patience, right? Because God's going to answer that prayer. We've all been in that situation. James wants us to remember a couple of things. We need, we need to be patient in circumstances. You know, there are times when circumstances come our way, and God wants us to be patient with those It could be just natural trials that come across. Just by being a human being, by living on this earth, you've already figured out by now that life can be very difficult. Difficulties will come your way, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you're you're financially responsible and, and, and an upstanding citizen, or whether a lot of the trouble is, is, tends to be uh, of your own doing, uh, we, we will find ourselves in the middle of difficult circumstances. It comes with living life in a sinful, fallen world. But then sometimes for the Christian, it goes a step further. Sometimes those trials will be because of persecution. It's because you've taken a stand as a follower of Jesus Christ to do what is right, to take a stand believing in his word, and making sure that others know that you're a Christ follower as well. And, and I, if, you, if you haven't heard this or figured this out already, God promises, the Apostle Paul told his, his disciple Timothy, all those who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. By choosing the narrow way, as Jesus called it, those who are on the, the broad path that leads to destruction, many of those will ridicule. Many of, those will, many of them will think that you're absolutely out of your mind. Maybe you've had family members already in your, in your life ridicule. I can't believe you're still doing that church thing. You really believe that stuff? I mean, come on. No intelligent, educated person in the 21st century believes that stuff anymore. Come on. The, the, the persecution might come from the office place. It might come from a family reunion. It might come from uh, anywhere. 
God calls us to take a stance in our faith, and sometimes these trials come with persecution. That's what the Christians were facing here in James' situation in, in that day. And they were commanded to be patient, to hang in there and wait. And in the midst of our waiting, one of the first things, and maybe this is just me, but one of the first things I like to do is find somebody I can whine about it to. I want to complain a little bit. I want other people to know how awful my life is right now, how bad I have it. I should be able to be allowed a certain amount of wine with this thing. And a little bit of complaining with this thing, we think, anyways. But James anticipates that, and he tells us at the beginning of verse 9, he says, do not grumble against one another. Because sometimes the, what, the whining often will start just you venting, so to speak. And then often, if, if this is a group trial or you're going through things with other people, often then the, the, the nitpicking starts. And we can begin to, to snap at those closest to us. And, and our, our frustration on the inside begins to come out. And so James anticipates that, and he says, don't grumble against each other. It reminds me of Philippians 2.14 that says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. We need to remember that in the midst of these trials, when we're most tempted to vent and to complain and to whine, to, to be able to turn that rather to praise and to worship, we're told to rejoice in everything, give thanks in everything, that even in the midst of those, those difficult times, God can give us the grace to, to sing His praises. We also have to make a choice in the middle of these times to not make other people miserable. We, as we're venting, as we want to complain, we can drag others down into our, our somber misery as well. You can still choose, even when things aren't going your way, to be a blessing to others. Have you ever had someone like that in your life? You think you've got it bad, you think it's, things are going badly for you, and then someone comes along your path who has it obviously far worse that their trial is way deeper than what you're going through. And they're just a blessing to you. Maybe they sent you a card of encouragement. Maybe they dropped off a bag of groceries. Maybe they just prayed with you. And you think, wow. I mean, I thought I had it bad, but I look at their circumstances and they're rejoicing. They can praise God even in the middle of that. That's, that's something else. And they're able to be a blessing to you. And it reminds you, wow, I need to turn my heart to praise. I need to turn my heart to rejoice because of all the goodness that's in my life, even though it's not the way I want it to be right now, God's blessings are stacking up one after another if we choose to see them. We don't, even, we don't need to just be patient with our circumstances, but we need to be patient with people as well. Patient with people as well. It's one thing to be patient with the circumstances, but sometimes your trial is another person. <laughs> sometimes your difficulty is the way that someone is treating you. Or maybe they're just getting under your skin and they're grating on you a bit. And so we're called to be patient with one another as well. Patient with our circumstances, but patient with each other. Giving each other grace. When we show impatience to others, it just reflects a lack of understanding as to how patient God is with us. Because daily, if we're honest, daily we have to come to Him asking for forgiveness for sin, asking for forgiveness for, for ignoring witnessing opportunities, for, or for being the kind of parents we need to be, or the spouses we need to be, or for, for neglecting a spiritual discipline in our life. Day after day, we need God's, God's forgiveness. And you know what? The Bible says that He is patient with us. He's long-suffering. And yet we will turn to a believer and Maybe a spouse, a child, someone at church, someone at work. And at their first misstep, we're ready to jump all over them. 
and snap at them and put them in their place. Be patient with one another. Be patient because your heavenly Father is patient with you. James, as you have noticed as we've gone through along here, James has a lot of very uh, vivid word pictures and colorful illustrations that help um, highlight the, the topic that he's talking about. And this same section is no different because he gives us some examples of patience. There were three that I saw in this passage that really help bring this virtue to life to help us see it fleshed out. The first, the first one is the farmer. The farmer. Verse 7 tells us, um, that see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. A farmer knows that he needs to be able to wait. Some of you have planted, planted gardens, maybe with your children or grandchildren. And you go out there and you, you've tilled the soil, you plant the seeds, you water And you begin to watch. And maybe it's the very next day. Maybe it's a week later. But eventually a child, if it's his first time being involved around the planting process, he'll say, where's the plant? How come I don't see it yet? I'm hungry for some sweet corn here. And it's late June and they they haven't seen any yet. They're frustrated because it's not coming fast enough. And you have to explain the the process that it takes time and, and watering and sunlight and and patience. You have to wait. Sure, more sunlight and and lots of healthy rain will help it, but you can't speed up that process. You can't can't make it. You have to wait. I read this week regarding uh, uh, farming back in, in James' day. It says, For thousands of years, farmers in the Holy Land have experienced an annual cycle of dry and rainy seasons. The dry season, running roughly from June through September, leaves the soil parched. But you see here in, in the text, James referred to the, the early and the late rains. That refers to uh, the rainy season that comes usually during two six-week periods in October and November. That's the early rains. And then again in April and May, and that's the latter rains. The early rains allow the seeds to germinate. After a long wait, the latter rains cause the plants to take root and grow. While the land is in its dry season for those five months, farmers eagerly wait for God to open up the skies and to send rain. Those farmers can't change their situation. You know, today with modern irrigation methods, we can, we can help things along and, you know, if, if it's been dry or there's a drought. But farmer knows that he's, he's dependent upon the seasons, the cycles of the season. He's dependent upon the rain. And he can't fix that situation. And I think that's an important illustration because some of us are in the middle of things that we want so badly to change. We want so badly to fix the the trial. We want so badly to make it stop or to alter our circumstances. And the farmer reminds us that those things are out of our control. That God is the one that we need to look to for endurance during the trial and for an answer to prayer to maybe bring us through it and to see it to the end. The farmer is a great illustration of patience, of patience. The second illustration is that of the prophets, the prophets. Verse 10 says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You see, if, if you were one of James's readers, and uh, most of these Christians came from a, a Jewish background, they would have been very familiar with the prophets and the things that they went through as they served the Lord. 
They went through many, many trials. One writer says that the faithfulness, their faithfulness to God's command, commands so far from giving them immunity from suffering actually involved them in it. In it. Their privilege and their trials went hand in hand. It was a great privilege, it is a great privilege to serve God. And to be an Old Testament prophet automatically meant that you were going to suffer. You were going to go through hardship. Because you know what? Nobody liked the prophets. These were guys without friends. And it wasn't because they didn't wear deodorant or they were socially awkward. It was because of their message. They came and proclaimed a message that people didn't want to hear. A message that said, turn back from your sin or God's going to judge you. Please turn from your wicked ways. And people want to do their own thing. Everybody else is doing it. Look, we're fine. We're all happy. Just bug off. And so the prophets went through great time of persecution. Think about maybe some of these guys you know. Elijah was hunted by Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah was told to preach, but no one would listen to him. How's that for encouragement? Here's your job. By the way, nobody's going to pay attention to you. Uh, He was hunted down by the men of his hometown, specifically because they wanted to stop him from speaking in the name of the Lord. Later, he had to go into hiding, was eventually captured, and was thrown into an empty cistern by the king. Ezekiel suffered the painful loss of his wife as the setting in which he delivered his message. Daniel suffered deportation into the foreign land of Babylon. Yet if we, he had never done so, we would never have heard of him or benefited from his ministry. Hosea was asked by God to marry a prostitute who would go on to cheat on him repeatedly. Her unfaithfulness was a picture of the spiritual adultery of the nation. Suffering and service just belong together in the lives of the prophets. And James points these believers to the lives of the prophets and and to their faithfulness, to staying true to their God throughout a ministry that was met by rejection and cynicism and sometimes execution. These were men and women that were faithful to their calling. They stayed patient. They kept doing what God asked them to do, even though they didn't see fruit, even though they were being rejected. And And through the example of the prophets, James here says, I want you to be patient, even though things aren't the way you want them right now. Even though things are not going the way you'd like them to go, be patient. Hang in there. Be faithful. Stand firm. Final example he gives is one that's familiar to many of us as we talk about suffering and trials, and it's the example of Job. It's the example of Job. Verse 11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James is the only New Testament writer who mentions the name of Job. The story begins, as many of you know, in heaven, where Satan is accusing Job before God. God mentions Job's sterling reputation, and he actually introduces Job into the discussion and says, well, have you considered him? And Satan, well, he's only following you because you've, Given him everything he wants. Take that stuff away. And God says, fine, go for it. You can't, you can't harm him, but you can take his stuff. So as many of you know, a messenger comes and tells Job that the Sabaeans have taken all of the oxen and donkeys and they've killed the servants. A second messenger comes and 
tells Job that fire from heaven has consumed all of his sheep and the servants who are watching them. Another servant arrives and tells Job that the Chaldeans have taken all of his camels and executed those servants who are watching them. Finally, a fourth servant shows up and tells Job that all of his children are dead. They were killed where the house on them had fallen on them. That's just the first chapter of Job. He lost ten children, seven sons and three daughters. He was covered with boils from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. He sat in an ash heap on a dung hill in misery and in agony. His wife told him to curse God and commit suicide. Three comforters came to see Job, among other things, and among other things told him that the suffering he was experiencing was due to his own terrible sin. He lost his entire fortune, but he did not give in to pressure. W.A. Criswell wrote of him, Satan had cast him on a dung heap, but he made the dung heap a throne in the presence of, God, of a great God. Satan afflicted him with sores and boils, but Job made them signets of honor. They were citations and medals, all over him, and Job made Satan eat his words. Satan tried to make him confess that he was a liar, but God was in it all. God purposed to give Job a double portion of everything he had, including his grace and his love, and it was into that that Job had to suffer. For grace and love do not come in any other way than through great trial and great suffering. So Job's response to everything to all that was crumbling down around him was this, for I know that my redeemers live, my redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been thus destroyed in my fl- and in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. And after everything was said and done, after God had brought him through this trial, had rebuked him, for his attitude at times, he said in Job 42, 5 and 6, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job said, there was a time when I knew about you. I kn- I'd, I'd heard the words about you. I had read things about you. I'd heard stories. But now, now I've seen you. See, it's one thing to know about God, and it's another thing to know God. And the way to know God the way that we draw closest to Him, the way that we experience our relationship with Him most intimately is through trials. And so it's by patient suffering, by a willingness to be steadfast that we can develop this virtue that nobody wants, the virtue of patience. It's in those times that we draw closest to God. But finally, I want us to see the motivation to patience, the motivation to patience. Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, Pastor, that's, that's all fine and good, but you don't know what I'm going through. I've been going through it an awful long time, and I'm just done. I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I just can't handle another day of this. Hear, hear these challenges. First of all, the, the motivation, one motivation to hang in there is the return of Jesus. The return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God gives us a lot of toolboxes, or a lot of tools in our toolbox throughout the New Testament to, to help us endure, to help us fight the war against sin, and to motivate us to holiness. But one of those motivations that we often overlook is that Jesus is coming back. 
hold on because your Savior cometh. I, I heard this week that one in every 13 verses, once every 13 verses, the New Testament mentions the second coming of our Lord. That is not by accident. You and I need to know that we're not just wandering aimlessly through this life without certain as to the destination or the outcome of things. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back and He could descend at any moment. The last trump, the trumpet will sound and our Savior will return. The clouds will roll back and Jesus will come for His chosen people. One pastor recounted a time when he was flying from Chicago to Minneapolis at night. He said, I was almost alone on the plane. The pilot announced that there was a thunderstorm over Lake Michigan and into Wisconsin. He was going to try to skirt to the west to avoid turbulence. And as I sat there staring out into the total blackness, suddenly the whole sky was brilliant with light and a cavern of white clouds fell away four miles beneath the plane and then vanished. A second later, a mammoth white tunnel of light exploded from north to south across the horizon and again vanished into blackness. Soon the lightning was almost constant and the volcanoes of light burst up out of the cloud ravines and from behind distant white mountains. He said, I sat there shaking my head in almost unbelief. Oh Lord, if these are but sparks from the sharpening of your swords... What will be the day of your appearing? And I remembered the word of Christ. As the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He said, even now as I recollect that sight, the word glory is full of meaning for me. Some of us lose sight in the midst of those those trials. We lose sight that our Savior is waiting to return for His bride. And soon, it could be any moment, Jesus will come back. It seems foreign. It seems like a distant hope, a fading dream. But when we hearken back to the words of the New Testament, we're drawn to this blessed truth that Jesus is coming back. Hang in there. This is the motivation. He said it twice. In verse 7, he says, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts. So, uh, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Paul reminds us that our afflictions, in comparison to uh, the grand scheme of things, he says they're light and momentary. Light and momentary affliction. It doesn't, doesn't feel that way. But when we put them up and, and, and put them in perspective... With the eternity that we're going to spend with God in heaven, worshiping Him in all of His glory, this trial that I'm in right now, this persecution that I'm facing, it's light, it's momentary. And soon we will be delivered from that and into the presence of our glorious God. And then finally, we're motivated by the grace of God. We're motivated to be patient by the grace of God. You see, there's... Uh, an important truth that we must all remember is that God never commands us to anything that He does not provide the resources for. God will not ask you and I to do something that He will not provide equal strength to follow through on. And that is an important principle in God's Word because it feels like we can't do it. 
When we look at the insur- seemingly insurmountable odds and we look at the difficulty that lies before us, we think, I can't do it. And God says, you're right. You're right, but I have got the grace to see you through this. Look, I, look at verse 11. If you're a, a, a scripture underliner, this last bit of the verse has just been so meaningful to me this week. He says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You and I need to be reminded this morning that our God is compassionate and merciful. When you're in the middle of something, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to think that God's out to get you, that He's here to stomp you out. Go back to God's Word. No matter what your heart is telling you, go back to God's Word and be reminded. Our God is compassionate and merciful. He says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. Know that this is not just random suffering that you're experiencing. God's got a purpose to draw you closer to Him, to form you into the image of Jesus Christ. You may not see that purpose now. You may not see it here on this earth. But He is is purposeful. He has intention behind what He is allowing in your life. And it says He's compassionate. He's a compassionate God. He's not out to crush you. He's a gentle God. He's merciful. That word merciful was one of my favorite words. It's a combination with one of my favorite words that I learned when I was studying New Testament Greek. Um, It's it's the Greek word splachnon. It comes from the Greek word splachnon. And um, the word splachnon means your guts. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm thinking, I think about the word, I hear it said out loud. It kind of sounds like guts, doesn't it? Like I've got a blockage in my lower splachnon. It kind of sounds like what it means, right? In, in the time of the day, in the language of the day, it was a way of conveying, you know, in our language we'll say, I love you with all of my heart. Uh, we're not actually talking about we're, we're loving someone with that muscle that pumps blood through our body. But it's a way of expressing affection, and in the, in the language of the day, it was a way of saying that, that the, mercy, the affections were coming from deep within. It's coming from the, the bottom of my guts, my, my bowels, literally. And, and he's, he's expressing that, in fact, this word is combined with another word to say it's, it's, it's coming from really deep. And I, God has great, great compassion. It's coming from the depth of, of his being and his being expressed to you. Jesus often gave us a picture of this when he walked the earth. Over and over and over, we're told that he was moved with compassion. Sometimes it's this very same Greek word, that that he would see someone suffering and he was moved from deep within. Uh, Probably one of the most poignant expressions of Jesus' emotions and his compassion was when his friend Lazarus died. Now you remember that he found out about Lazarus' sickness and he took his time getting there. And his disciples were frustrated with that. And even Lazarus' sisters were like, if you had hurried here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You know that, right? But Jesus knew what was going to go on all the time. See, see, Mary and Martha and the disciples, they had a healing in mind. But Jesus, he had a resurrection in mind. And when he came to the grave, even though he knew what was going to happen, he knew even before he got there, he knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to raise this man from the dead. He knew it. 
Yet, in the, the shortest verse in the English Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, says Jesus wept. He saw the suffering. He saw the effects of sin laid out there, and it touched people who were close to him. And he was hurting over the suffering of, of people who were dear to him, and he just wept. He just wept. The, the compassion and the mercies of God runs deep. And even though he may have permitted what is going on in your life, God has deep compassion for the suffering that you're going through. It doesn't delight him to see people in pain. It doesn't delight him to see people afflicted. But the outcome of seeing us conform to the image of Jesus Christ, that brings him great joy. That does delight him. And so while you may be experiencing a dark season in your life, know that in the midst of that, God waits to be gracious to you. He waits to show you compassion. He waits to show you mercy. And He waits to develop in you that virtue that none of us want, but that all of us need. Let's pray. God, I know that probably before I lay my head on the pillow tonight, something will come into my life that will give me the opportunity to be patient. <laughs> it may be a child who, who needs help being potty trained when I really want to sit down and read a book. It, it might be a delay that we weren't expecting. It might be someone who requires more time than what we want to give in our selfishness. I don't know what what it's going to be, but we all need to learn to be patient. But we also know that it's not within us to do so. You tell us that one of the fruit of the Spirit, of His working in our life, is that of being long-suffering. God, may, may each of us who believe Jesus Christ as our Savior, who have received the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, trust Him to produce that within us. I pray that we would be patient people. We would be patient as we wait for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.